Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 21, Making It Up As We Go Along. This week we're discussing season 2, episode 8 of Buffy, The Dark Age, and season 2, episode 6 of Doctor Who, The Age of Steel. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right, the Dark Age, and this age which is being referred to is Giles. Yes. His Dark Age, which is both dark in the sense of not happy, Mm -hmm. uh, and also... I guess, kind of a pun because it's his mysterious backstory, which we don't know about, which is being sort of brought to light. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, right, right. Like, you can't see back into it. It's sort of a lost period. Like It's like a prehistoric, age, yeah, yeah. Like, before we knew, you know, anything about Giles. And so, well, so pretty cool. This is the, the backstory that we've been hinting at for... Only two episodes, so not that long, but... Well, well, and, and maybe a bit longer, but yeah, let's talk about sort of the stuff we, we think here, because I've got a couple things to, to throw back to even last season and stuff that um, okay. we can kind of throw in there. But um, so where, where do you want to start with, with Giles's sordid past? Uh, well, I mean, let's just like kind of walk through his backstory okay. um, and see what sticks out. So... Um, so he studied at Oxford, which there you go could have guessed. Um, and, uh, but he didn't graduate. He, Mm. which is maybe something we wouldn't have guessed that he maybe was not so different from Buffy way back in the day. He, you know, he said he hated the tedious grind of study and the burden of his destiny. Right. And that sounds pretty familiar to me. Yeah. Just a little Um, bit. Yeah. So kind of interesting that he, uh, who is such, you know, a, a Luddite and a and a bookworm and a fuddy-duddy, as Jenny calls him, um, at one point didn't really appreciate the value of study mm-hmm. and his education. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a question for you. Okay. So before, when he said something about... Um, the Watcher title being passed down father to son. He said he in season one, he made an allusion to the fact that his parents had been watchers before him. Or his father. And it was something his father or something, and it was something he inherited. And I think I remember you saying that that may be retconned later. Right? That I think you had said that that wasn't necessarily gonna be consistent backstory. But then we get this line about the burden of his destiny, mm-hmm. which which he which was oppressing him when he was a student. So that to me sounds like if it's your destiny, it's something that it, it, that is inherent, it's something that's put on you. Like mm-hmm. whether it's like Buffy, or whether it's something that your your you get from your your family or whatever. It's not like he. It doesn't sound to me like he chose to be a watcher. Right. Um. It's a destiny that is stifling. Um, so how does that work with what you said about the retcon? And 
are we going to learn more about why and how Giles became a watcher? Um, because I feel like from what you said, that doesn't necessarily gel with what we're getting told in the show. Yeah. So no, great questions. And I had actually forgot my little comment there about possibility of being retconned. If I can retcon myself a little, <laughs> no, 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 I think, I think what, Wait a minute. I, what I want to clarify is that, and, and honestly, I don't remember exactly the context of my comment there. I suspect what I was referring to was the passing down of the father to son. Um, okay. But, and that's what I thought too. But yes. But then it sounds like that's still the case. Well, or, or maybe I mean, I'm here, assuming that. Here yeah. we, we know that he, at least at that point, there was something that he had a destiny for, whether that was uh -huh. watcherness or not. That may or may not have been the case. I think okay. we can assume that that was, though. I don't think that's a, a big leap to to assume that he is now fulfilling the destiny that was a burden to him before. Um, yeah, and we haven't been presented yet with any alternatives as to what that might be. Maybe we'll right. get that later. Right. But there's nothing, it's not, I haven't gotten the sense that he was destined for something other than being a watcher at right. this point. We are definitely going to learn... Um, more about Giles's past. Um, okay. We are also going to learn more about the whole sort of watcher role. So I, I hesitate to give too much, um, you know, information here and now. Um, I will okay. say that there's definitely, though, you know, just like. Um, so. You know, we, we we already know even even in here. You know, there's allusions to how much Buffy is training and whatever. There's also a sort of scholastic part to that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in as far like I mean, we've and we've seen Buffy sort of looking through the books with Giles and 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 Willow and Xander too, kind of you know doing that study part. There, there's there's an aspect um, for the Slayer and and also for the Watcher of this sort of like a schooling, you know, aspect to it to where they're learning about the demons and the historical and mythological and and all of that kind of stuff too. So again, we're going to learn more about that um and maybe in not too many episodes. So I don't want to like really give away too much, but yeah. You know, there definitely is a sense that for both the watcher and the slayer, there's a sort of preparatory period um mm -hmm. even before they take on those roles. Um, mm -hmm. or at least fully take on. I mean, the Slayer is chosen. We know one Slayer dies, another comes, and that sort of thing. So, like, there is an aspect, though, that we haven't really seen with the Slayer um, sort of being more of a student. But as we know, Buffy's not mm -hmm. too much of the studious type. So the focus heretofore has um, been on her slaying technique rather than the, you know, um, book learning, which she sort of just picks up along the way. Um, yeah. In, in humorous fashion. So, uh, most <laughs> of the time. So I think, uh, yeah, I, I think what I was referring to specifically is the father to son thing. Now, I, now that I say that I, you know, I'm, I, it may have been an offhand comment and I might be wrong. That's probably something I should look up. So, um, I will, I will and, and go that's, back. Yeah, I mean, he says it's his destiny. Now, I'm, I'm remembering what he said about it being his father. I'm, 
bringing that to mean that it's some like familial destiny, but it may, that may, and I, and I, that's what and, I was and, wondering was, is the, is the retcon making it a destiny of some other sort? Because Buffy obviously has a destiny that has, as far as we know, nothing to do with her lineage necessarily. So, um, so you could kind of read this a couple different ways, I guess, depending on how much we know about the character. And we don't know that much at this point. Right. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I mean, definitely good questions to ask. I just don't think that, um, but they're sticking with, they're sticking with it being a destiny. At this so, point. Something they, that they, he they was being prepared yeah, for. They're not, they haven't retconned it so far that now it's, uh, a, you know, a choice that he made completely freely and with no connection to, you know, like they haven't, I think maybe I was expecting it to stray further away from the idea of destiny for him. Mm -hmm. Whereas, so when he said that line, I was like, oh, that surprised me. I wasn't expecting that. Um, right. And I think it does give him this nice parallel with Buffy. Yeah. Um, um, and, and I will say too, that there's, possibly um other media where like giles's family comes into play okay. um, that i'm and, and admittedly that i'm less familiar right. with so right um, there could be extra canonical or you know or like in the comics and stuff you mean yeah 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 um so okay you know that is and, and and god knows there's more than enough of that in doctor who so i think we don't have to drive ourselves too crazy with i think we can stick with the show you know what the show right. tells well, us and, and i i think the one thing i can say for certain is it's not a destiny in the way that buffy is the slayer as as you know, slayerness as her destiny. Um, yeah. Like I, I will say that much. Like if it's destiny, it's like, because it's the family business, not because there's a mystical power involved with being a watcher yeah. in the way that there's a mystical power being, um, right. you know, involved with being the slayer. So, so right, I, I right. will make so that maybe distinction. He, so he may not be the chosen one, but there's a sense of, a duty which is expected of him, right. which is stifling to a nineteen-year-old. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, the the you know sort of quintessential going into the family business. You know, you're expected to learn how to run the shop, or you know, whatever the family business might be, <laughs> legal or not so legal. <laughs> you know, in yeah. whatever case. Um, so yeah, there's there's that aspect to it. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Anyway, so further so, further on into his backstory. So he, he okay, feels so oppressed and leaves Oxford. He feels oppressed. He drops out. Um, and he um, gets in with this fascination of the occult and practicing magic and falls in with a bad crowd. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought it was really funny that we both saw him in like the punk leather yeah, yeah. jacket, but then also says he listened to the Bay City Rollers. <laughs> and so it's like, I don't know that you could be a punk and listen to the Bay City Rollers, but okay, he we'll we'll go with it. Well, and it he, yeah, he was all over the place in the seventies. I get the idea. It um, you know, and of course the question is like, was it 
I mean, clearly now you, you get, and, and even throughout this episode, and even into the, la- the last time we saw Ethan um, in the Halloween episode, you know, you get this sense of there's two different Gileses, but which one's the right one? And, yeah. And, yeah. and so is it the Giles who listens to Bay City Rollers or is it the punk Giles? And, and, and maybe, why can't it be both? Well, why can't it be both? Or, like, was he just pretending? Like, was, was that at... An aberrant, right, it's one of them a fiction. Uh, yeah, know? was that an aberrant yeah. portion of his past? And and again, we may yeah. revisit that sort of thing in, in future right. episodes. And that's so. true. Like you could look at that as I, I I did wonder if that was contradicting itself, but then that could be a pointer to the fact that he's sort of contradictory as a character. Mm-hmm. And you can't quite know for sure which of these if if either is more true than the other. Right, right. Um, so, you know, and so, yeah, so he leaves school at 21 um, and falls in with his bad crowd, which, you know, with, I think is pretty explicit. Um, it, it, this is a pretty mythological episode overall. Well, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty mythology heavy. It's pretty character heavy, but we get a heavy dose of the kind of season one metaphor of the week. Mm-hmm. Um with the bad crowd and their psychedelic, mm-hmm. you know, uh, trips with the demon, you know, it's like, that's not so different than stuff my dad used to get up to <laughs> at exactly the same age at exactly the same year, you know, right, like, right, right. and all of their, like, I mean, they specifically refer to it as like a high, mm-hmm. right? And oh, yeah. he get has the flashbacks of, you know, of them being possessed by the demon and it's very you know psychedelic and you know it it looks like a trip and so um so you do get the even though it is mythological and character driven you do get the dose of this is the magical metaphor for you know a middle-aged person looking back at all the crazy stuff they used to do Mm -hmm. in their youth well, um, and how dangerous it was. And yeah, everything. yeah. No, I think that's exactly right. And and I think it's, I mean, it seems pretty clear that that that's what they're going for the the the, the sort of the drug analogy and and the idea that what you do in the past isn't necessarily always going to stay in the past. Yeah. And, uh, right. you know, and there's, you know, there's the idea of reversion, right? You know, Ethan's around and suddenly Giles is beating up people and, you know, yeah. not taking any crap from, you know, whatever, or he's, you know, drinking him stuff into a stupor as Buffy so eloquently mm-hmm. puts it, you know, he's not being Giles. <laughs> like he's, yeah. uh, you know, he's ripper at that point he has reverted um at least to Mm -hmm. some degree and and i think that's particularly apt because i i mean you do see that with um people who maybe have partied a little too heartily um in the past and and that sort of thing and 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 maybe it's not even necessarily that they're ashamed but they don't necessarily want their kids to know exactly how um you know how involved they were with certain aspects of of whatever uh they may have done so um and i think that's kind of natural i mean that's sort of a natural thing and and we get that you know uh conversation between giles and buffy at the end where 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 buffy's like you know here i 
or, 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 you know, here I thought you were an adult and I find out you're a person kind of thing, you know, and it's like, well, yeah. well most adults are, <laughs> you know, I mean, and, and, and that's kind of humorous, but it, you know, it's also true. I mean, from the eyes of kids or teenagers, I mean, I, you know, I have a 12 year old daughter, I, you know, I may, I, I'm sure, you know, she sort of intellectually thinks I'm a person, but certainly not a person in the way that she is, you know what yeah. I mean? Like I, yeah. I have no doubt that that's or the even, case. <laughs> even she knows that you were a kid, but even then you must have still been like dad, you oh, know, like, and it was you so long really ago. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. you know, I think there's, there's a lot of that and yeah, there's sort of a natural tendency to want to hide that kind of thing, but also sort of futility in trying to hide it. You know, yeah. it's like, um, well, especially when, cause I think like, that can be a nostalgic thing as well, mm -hmm. you know, that all the stuff we used to do and oh, yeah. we got away, yeah, yeah. you know, but then when you get something like there being a death involved, you know, I think right. that's what really can, for obvious reasons, you know, for good reason, puts a real damper on, you know, like, and obviously that is sometimes what happens when, you know, when you take heavy drugs or when you tamper yeah, with or, demons or that you can't control or right, whatever right, you know right, right. that a, a lot of people you know you're you think you're young and invincible and most people get away with it and then one out of so many don't um yeah. and so i think that's what even more than anything else really you know tinges and kind of stains or you know or you have that or there's that friend who didn't never, make it out of that. Yeah, who never no, yeah, really... never like, grew out of that. Yeah. Those were literally the best years of their lives, and everyone else yeah. moved on, and they never did. Um, yeah. Which is sort of where Ethan seems to sit for me. Sure, like, yeah. Like, he seems to be that guy who draws everyone back into the old, you know, traps that they, that they had. You know, Giles has kind of made a new life for himself. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I wanted to comment on this actually a moment ago. Like, so Giles falls in with the bad crowd. Only in England can you have the bad crowd be Rupert, Ethan, Phil, and Deirdre. You know, like, <laughs> like this is the names of your of your bad crowd here. Um, and 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 Giles. Okay, so he does have a, a nickname, Ripper, and uh -huh. we never really truly find out what no, what that means. I, I I wanted to ask about that because there's two sort of. Is there two? Let me double check because I may have had more. So, okay, I, I identified three lingering questions for me. One of them, I feel like, I don't know that I, it's not that important. Like the fact that the demon, there was this 20 year gap and where was it? Like, was it latent in one of, in that first guy that died or like, why, what? I, I would guess. Where would it go? Where's it been for 20 years? Yeah, yeah, All yeah. this kind of stuff. Um, um, if we're going to answer these now, so let, that's my let, me, first question. let me take them one by one. Then I'll, okay. then we'll go to the next one. So my, my suggestion would be that, um, because they talk about summoning him, Igon, a number of yeah. times and they each yeah. kind of tried him out and they were very responsible in their drug use. Only one of them took a drug at a time and all the rest yeah. were still sober. And you yeah. know, like that's, you know, very responsible. So, uh -huh. um, no, but they, so my guess is that like he would be reverted to wherever they were summoning him from. So like he would go back to some other dimension or hell or wh whatever 
you want to call the place where they summon yeah. this demon from. That would be yeah. my guess. And so that's where now, and the, the, the idea is that possibly he was, um, you know, summoned by other people throughout the world too. Like it, you know, just like mm-hmm. there's a ritual involved and whoever knew the ritual could potentially yeah. have summoned that particular demon. So I, okay. um, I don't think that that, and that actually goes into something else I was going to talk about. Maybe let's, Answer the rest of your questions here first before okay. we go on. Question two is the one that you just said. What is up with the name Ripper? Uh, yeah. We didn't really get an explanation, and and will we? And, yeah. Um, I won't answer the will we part. Um, okay. Because it's more fun to let you squirm. The... Uh-huh. No, we don't get an explanation. And okay. and we, we actually were kind of joking just before we started recording here about Cordelia's moment where she even asked that question almost literally. Like, why did he yeah. call him Ripper? And then, like, Giles does something to Ethan. And she goes, oh, that's what, like, okay, that's why you call him Ripper. And it's like, well, yeah. that makes no sense because he, like, grabbed Ethan by the back of the head or something. Like, because yeah, he's I mean, ripping I guess his I just hair took that or, as like, <laughs> you know, like I guess I just took that as, like, Giles was really tough. So she's like, oh, right. he's really, that's a tough nickname for right. his, like, psychotic bad side and I think that that's, we didn't know. And I think that's what it means. I think that's the right yeah, way to take it. Yeah. It, but it is like, he didn't, he didn't do anything. Right. He, like, he didn't right. rip anybody. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, I, 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 I've always been, every time I've seen this episode, I've always been confused at Cordelia's <laughs> sudden, like, revelation into the name Ripper. Like, yeah. Uh, that makes no like, sense to me. What is it that she's understanding? Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, um, um, I. But again, I won't. I mean, I won't say. I will. Say, I will point out that Ethan always calls him Ripper. Okay. That's the only um, name that he uses. And again, kind of going back to that, you know, the old friend who never got away from the past. It's because yeah. that's who he knew Giles to be was as Ripper and. And he's also not letting Giles move on from the past. He keeps bringing it up, bringing it up, bringing it up, mm-hmm. and forcing him to kind of take on that persona again um, in more ways than one, it seems. Um, yeah. Which goes into possibly your next question. Okay, my my third, and I think the one that maybe bothers me the most mm-hmm. is we, I was, so you said like, I think you said a week or two ago that, oh, this is his backstory episode or what? Like, I knew, I feel like I knew Halloween. that this was, or, or, yeah, oh, like oh, you, you said, like, after Halloween I think when we saw, after Halloween, more. you said, oh, we're going to get, like, in a couple episodes, Giles, some of Giles' backstory, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And then there's this whole thing with Ripper and all the cult and all this stuff. And then at the end, I still don't understand where his fighting skill and sort of, you know, ninja, you know, speed and strength come from. Um, and yeah. But where, so are, but we gonna, where are you referring to his fighting skills? Because where does he actually fight? Well, in in the Halloween episode, he like took out Ethan, like with this like really like, um, I don't know. Ethan he, is and, a wuss. Okay, I'm just gonna. But, say, so Ethan also gets but, taken down by Cordelia in this so, episode. So, but and but that's okay. I I I'm with you. But then we've also consistently got this whole thing of him. And I know Buffy's the Slayer, and she's awesome and kick ass and can take anything down. 
but we've gotten a very um, bumbling, you know, image for Giles as a fighter. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just like, well, he's okay, but Buffy's so super awesome that even she can take down even someone who has some rudimentary fighting skills. It's like he's been like, you know, tripping over his own feet whenever he's had to try to like fight her, it seems to me. And then all of a sudden it was like he did the kind of like, it just seemed like there was a difference between his attempt to fight Buffy and like his like ridiculously easy swatting of the fly, which was Ethan. Yeah. Um, And that seems, so I think, so I don't know if I'm meant to, if I'm meant to think, is his like bumblingness an act? And if so, why? How does that benefit Buffy? Yeah. No, I don't think you're meant to think that his. I think so. So, so I, then think, it seems I think a couple of things. I, I, I think one is you're going to look at Buffy as. Yeah, she's just that much better than everyone, including Giles. Uh-huh. But I don't think we're meant to think that Giles suddenly has powers or is, um, you know, is, gained fighting seems, skill. Or, or is like concealing powers. Or, he... No, 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 no. I, okay. Like, I think the takeaway from there is that Ethan is just such a wuss. Like, he, he's, he's the guy who messes around with stuff he shouldn't mess around with. He's yeah. not a physical fighter at all. Like, even less than Giles is, clearly, because Giles takes him yeah. down numerous times. Um, and, yeah. and when I said that about Cordelia earlier, I don't, I don't, I don't mean to imply that, you know, because, I mean, Cordelia isn't a fighting person either, right? So, yeah. like, Ethan does throw Xander over the, <laughs> you know, over yeah. the counter. So it's like, but everyone, like, I have a feeling, like, even Willow could have taken Ethan down. Like, yeah, I know. And I get that. You it know just what I mean? seems to me that there's, there seems to be a difference in, and I, I think I'm specifically referring to, like, the Halloween episode. The way that Giles punched him out seemed different to me than, like, yeah. the way that Cordelia, like, kicks him in the stomach and he goes down. Like, that almost seemed like she, she almost bumped into him and he fell over. Whereas, like... Right. Giles, it seemed like the way he kind of physically played that scene, it seemed like, oh, snap. He, like, has all this. He laid him out and seemed like he had a skill that we hadn't seen. And it just, I think, I don't know if that's... I mean, I I, 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 again... Whether I'm... Whether I meant to get that impression, maybe not, but that was the impression I got. So it left me with this question of yeah. how much um, of that kind of ripper persona is is like this really skilled fighter and no, he's like attending. I, I, I mean, I don't think we should that. think of Giles as defenseless at, at all. I mean, we even saw, um, y- you know, in, in, in the sort of the moment uh, that he had... Uh, where he was sort of practicing with the weapons and then and then the kids kind of all walked in on him in the library. I don't remember exactly mm. which episode that was. Like, you can see that he has a sort of a working knowledge of fighting skills. Yeah, but, but I guess, no, I guess uh, even well, that, Let, let, let me like... finish, let me finish, because I know where you're going, and you're going the same place, and I don't want to spend all the time talking about this, because I, honestly, I don't, I don't think it's that important. Mm. I, think, I think the key things here are, again, going back to his relationship with Ethan. I think it, that 
he was, I think we're meant to see Giles as having been a sort of leader of their group mm-hmm. and that he's being sort of alpha male in that moment and putting Ethan in his place, like perhaps he used to do back in the day. And I think we're also meant to see Ethan as a sort of, um, maybe like a, 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 a sort of, um, a Loki kind of character, like a, a not, and I don't mean Loki in like Avengers kind of Loki, but like you know, as a trickster, as a, uh-huh. you, you know, like he, his his um, yeah, not a fighter. Yeah, he's he's, a, he's not a fighter. He's, he's not cunning, the yeah. guy who's yeah. you know going to come in guns blazing. He's going to poke and prod and get your dander up, and he's going to you know, um, you know, kind of play pranks and and do weird things like turn people's costumes against them but he's going to do it from the privacy of his back office you know where he can do a chant and raise a demon and and that kind of thing like it's not he's he's like even less of a fighter and he kind of just cowers and except for well yeah i mean you know so he does subdue buffy but how does he do it he hits her in the back of the head when she's not looking right Yeah, yeah you know you know it's not like he's fighting her in any way but um I don't I don't think we're supposed to read Giles as having any superpowers or concealing or not even superpowers, but like fighting skills or martial arts, a working knowledge of how to fight. Yes. But I, I think we're meant to take that as academically um, as as he has, um, you know, academic knowledge about about other things as well. Um that's just my read. I could be wrong. There may mm. people be people who disagree with me. Um, that gives him more than what Ethan has. But, you know, yeah. again, clearly, like, I mean, he couldn't, he can't stand against Buffy, even with, like, padding and, you know, all kinds yeah. of other stuff there. Um, yeah. But I do want to move on because, like, we've spent a lot of time on this question. Yeah. So did I... I probably didn't satisfy yeah. your curiosity, did I? <laughs> no, I mean, it satisfies my curiosity. I think it doesn't satisfy my sense that I was led to expect certain things that didn't end up panning. I, 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 I guess think... the only thing I can say is maybe just go back and rewatch that scene and, and see how much fighting skill he actually puts into Ethan. Because <laughs> it's not that much. <laughs> but it's the fact that it's so little. It's so easy for him. It just seems like a ninja. Because so Ethan is such a wuss, I think, me. again, is the tagline. I don't I, think I it's... I guess. I, I, I don't, don't think it's because... I think I may have to dry swallow that a little bit, but I can live with it. That's okay. Yeah. Um, um, I'll, at least I'll know not to waste too much thought trying to figure out exactly how much fighting prowess he has yeah, so I, that's that's fine and and i won't say that giles never kills a vampire or you know fights back or or anything like that but again i yeah. think it's a, a working knowledge and a and an intellectual knowledge of sort of how to use weapons but like practical skill not a lot i, I don't think we're meant to to think that he has you know anywhere near well nobody has anywhere near what buffy has but even just like generally speaking i don't think we're meant to think that he has um all these okay. skills okay uh, so don't so don't worry about he's not yeah I, i'm with you yeah okay. um we okay. can move on now okay yeah Phew. so um i guess uh, i guess moving moving on so we kind of worked our way through his backstory and and talked about sort of the drug analogies which was definitely something i wanted to bring up i think the next thing to sort of go on then is is to his current relationship 
with Jenny. Um, yeah. And well, and, and also with the kids, but I think more importantly in, in this uh, episode with Jenny, because I think we, we get to see sort of how that plays out um, with regard to, you know, again, sort of the dredging up of things past and being able to handle those things past. Right. So it's, uh-huh. it's, it's that whole, um, the whole, I mean, Jenny we've seen is sort of a free spirit, right? Opposites attract <laughs> Giles, the, the sort of stodgy, uh, you know, tweed wearing professor versus Jenny, mm-hmm. the cool hip computer, uh, teacher who goes to burning man. Um, right. and, 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 and monster trucks and monster trucks. Um, but when it comes down to it and sort of Jenny's faced with this, you know, thing that Giles has been sort of hiding from his past. Yeah. Um, we see that she doesn't and isn't able to handle it. And, and I mean, not, not like certainly for legitimate reason, like, you know, I'm not, yeah. I don't mean that as a criticism on her. It's just, it's a very real experience of something mm-hmm. from Giles's past that comes literally to haunt her um yeah so yeah and and that first i mean she's the one i mean in some ways she's as much if not i wouldn't say more but maybe as much interested in kind of the occultist in in her first episode didn't she tell us she's like what did she had a term for it like a a, techno pagan a a techno pagan right Mm -hmm. so she's and she's the one who said oh i know about Moloch, you know, I study, you know, demons in the internet all the time, you know, let me help you. Right. So, so it's not like she's uninitiated to this idea of the occult, Mm -hmm. but maybe this is her first, uh, and certainly most traumatic firsthand experience with it. Um, and she kind of seems like, um, you know, like she's saying the whole time, like, uh, trying to reassure him that she's not going anywhere and that, you know, that this is fine and she understands and, um, and she doesn't, you know, want to break up and everything. Like he's upset that she got involved and she says, that's okay. That's what happens when you get involved. Mm -hmm. Um, but well, and it's it's not not even the first time that she's gone up against a demon or been in danger. No, but, but that, but that, it's the experience of the possession, whatever it is that she experienced from her point of view that seems to have, you know, crossed the line in terms of what she thought she was prepared for. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe both in terms of, you know, maybe even just with her experience with, this may just be the first like real personal contact she's had with, that kind of like a monster and that complicates the relationship with Giles because mm -hmm. obviously this is something that he's committed to dealing with, you know? And it's, and it's, yeah, the thing is, it's interesting how much does she blame? Like, we don't really know at that point how much she blames him, but clearly there's some kind of blame going on or or at least some sort of, um, repulsion you know going on at the end there literally she takes a step back when he tries to touch her and and yeah so it's interesting to me there because it's it's not um i mean giles certainly didn't call up igon this time it's something that 
was from years ago. And, and I don't think we know exactly how old Giles is at this point, but, you know, say maybe 20 years ago, if he's in his early forties, you know, um, mm. but yeah, it, it seemed like it was like, like in the seventies or something. So maybe, yeah, that would be right. Like 20, 25 years ago. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's hard to say exactly what, just because we don't like at the end, we just, all we get is the, I need time. And it's, Again, not a rejection of him per se, but it's also there. There does seem to be sort of a blame there that, like, what yeah. happened to me is your fault, and I just need to figure out or what it, else or there might least, be. Or at least it's so closely associated with him that right. she can't overlook it. Right, even that, if it's not his fault, there's there's the connection there that yep. when she looks at him, she's going to remember that experience. Yeah, which is yep. again. The, the Ethan relationship to Giles, you know, it's like, it's that idea of drawing you back into something that you don't necessarily want to remember. So for, for yeah. Giles, when Ethan shows up, that's what that is for him. For Jenny, she's suspecting, at least at this case, that that may be how she will feel if Giles sticks around um, as a, as a significant other. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it's and it's unfortunate, right? Because it's, I mean, it is that that weekend was when they were supposed to uh, stay in, and right. and and you know they were, and we should have known something was going to happen because I know. she's like, "Damn you, Josh Sweden!" I know right. she's like no. saying, "Like this is when she's finally like taking the relationship to the next level." Well, and and, and she's of course, being the assertive it's gonna one. Get destroyed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she's yeah. being the assertive one here. She's she's right. definitely. I mean, she's the one. You know, I mean, she's teasing him and, you know, whatever, but they're saying, you know, oh, oh, did anyone say you're a sexy fuddy-duddy, you know, <laughs> which yeah. just seems yeah. counterintuitive, um, oxymoronic there. But um, yeah. no, that part usually gets left out. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, you know, I mean, it's she's definitely the one sort of not pushing because I think Giles is going willingly, but, um, you know, yeah, definitely and, and the one who's, who's sort not, of leading. The yeah. Way. Or not pushy in like a, in a negative way, but, but right. taking the lead and drawing him out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so to go from that to, yeah. Yeah. It's a shame. Yeah, it is a shame. So, you know, we'll see what happens there. Poor, poor Giles. Yeah. Yeah, you, you, you get the sense there aren't a lot of women that come into his life, so you know, he he's unfortunate in that way. Um Yeah, and of course and then the sting being that like even if it is incidental and because of something he did twenty years ago, it still is his fault in a way. It's it's related to him, it's it happened to her. It's not like she was the victim of some vampire or something that has nothing to do with him. It's like the extra blow is like, it really did. It was because of mm -hmm. me and my past that, that this relationship is potentially not going to go forward. Right. So. Mm -hmm. Um, well, we've only got about six minutes left here. <laughs> Let's talk about everything else. Um, do, do you want to talk about, Igon and Angel and and sort of the mythology. Do you want yeah, to talk about yeah. Buffy? You had, um, um, you well, you had some Igon Angel mythology points. So why don't we talk about that? Well, um, yeah, okay. So for 
I, well, I, you know, I mean, I think the Igon stuff, I mean, actually, a lot of what I was going to say there, we've already talked about with the drug stuff, because I, I definitely yeah. wanted to make that connection. Um, yeah. But yeah, so the 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 scene, the, the sort of climactic scene is Igon, you know, leaping from Jenny into Angel, and we mm-hmm. have this... Um, inner struggle of, of angel like literally um between igon and the demon there and so i guess so first of all do you have any questions about you know stuff that kind of went on there or i mean it i think it's fairly straightforward but i think i think i got it um, um the, the yeah no the, i think i i mean i i understand the thing that the logic yeah like that he already has the demon inside him so yeah the I, possession he can only be possessed by one demon at a time and <laughs> darn it the vampire's gonna win yeah they well and and there's sort of um an age thing going on going along there which which we got with like the master like you know he was kind of the oldest vampire around so he's also the strongest and whatever and i i think that's somewhat typical for these sorts of mythologies um especially dealing with vampires and stuff kind of the longer you're around the the more powerful you are and and that sort of thing um but also kind of like the fact that it's bleeding over into other sort of magical creatures um sorry actually i wanted (laughs) i forgot to mention about giles if we could just go back to him for a minute because i did (laughs) think this was important you had mentioned like you know going back a couple episodes sort of talking about his past i did want to bring up Way back in the beginning of season one, episode three, which we had this, it was another summoning spell mm-hmm. um, thing. So it's, you know, again, it's like the magic is almost recipe, right? It's, it's, it's not so much like a natural thing. I mean, it is the summoning of a, of a creature from another world. So there is the mystical involved in that. Right, right. But, but the magic is there's the, the recipe which... Aspect which summons the demon or whatever yeah but if you remember in that episode um when giles you know they're in the chemistry lab and they're getting ready to um switch bodies back between amy and Catherine, um who is amy's mom uh giles says this is my first casting this is my first magical casting so this is of mm. Now, I mean, it may depend on what you define as a magical casting. That was more of a spell. This was more of an incantation. Are those different things or whatever? But clearly, like we know now, like it certainly wasn't his first dealing with magic. Well, that's at interesting. That point. Um, there's a in sometimes I don't know if you've heard these terms before. I don't know who first originated them. I I hear them talked about like a lot in fantasy literature and defining different types of magic in mm-hmm. fantasy. The, the the incantational versus invocational. Mm-hmm. So incantational being a, a a spell, a word which you know you enchant something or put a charm on it or a spell or you, whatever. It's like yeah. me placing something external. Whereas invocational is um, summoning. It's invoking mm-hmm. a spirit or it's it's Faust calling on. Mephistopheles to do the magic like Faust isn't magical he invokes Mephistopheles and that's and that's different than say you know Harry Potter who says a word and it resonates with the wand and then you get a spell part of him and part of his character exactly yeah yeah and so maybe that's kind of maybe they're playing with those different types of magic in this story like which is a spell or 
you know, an, an, and, an enchantment rather than an invoking of some sort of external evil, yeah. and, if that makes sense. And that could be a way to explain it. Um, I also wouldn't... That would actually make sense of him saying, this is my first casting. Like, yeah. that maybe that's his first bit of incantational magic rather than his but, whole history with invocational magic. But also, the way he says it, is sort, you're sort of led to believe... It implies that, that, that he, he hasn't, he done hasn't magic had before. magical yeah. Uh, yeah, right. interactions before. So, and and I think if if we're you know looking at this as sort of a holistic you know um, world view, like you know at that point he's maybe not lying, but certainly deceiving. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. that it's that using the technical truth of the thing maybe to to give an impression right right like that, it, it, is it technically true yeah. but but kind of a white lie yeah. a little bit because certainly yeah. again if we're to assume that this is one coherent thing which i think we are like at yeah. that point he would certainly know that he had fooled around with igon yeah. before like um yeah. so anyway so that's that's what i wanted to bring up kind of before um and and also again that you know this is yeah okay and i get your your distinction between invocational um versus incantational but again it's there's there's these sort of like laws of nature you know science sort of things mm -hmm. governing the magic here versus completely yeah, being uh uh supernatural evil and and the, and that the science is in the mechanics of it that right where it becomes a recipe is in if I'm going to perform a spell, what are the ingredients that I need? And that there are rules that I follow. Right. And know. he's only going to come to people with this particular symbol on. Yeah. You know. So I think yeah, that's yeah. where it becomes more sci-fi, less fantasy in the, in the sense that there is like that kind of um, strict physical laws, which mm -hmm. are being, you know, yeah. obeyed rather than um, something more sort of, intuitive or you know or random or psychic or something right right um and so and going back to angel then um you you mentioned something before we started recording about sort of i mean and we only see angel very briefly in this episode but we do yeah. see him twice and he made me laugh because the first time it's like you know he pops in and and helps Buffy with the blood. They're like, hey, thanks, Angel. See you later. And then the only other time we see him for like 30 seconds when he pops in and it's like, oh, great. Angel's here to, yeah. you know. And I don't mean that as a criticism. Like, I think, obviously, it makes sense why he was there both times. Like, it's not, it, it's, it's defensible because the first time he's there because of the blood drop off. And then... But she knows it's going to happen. It happens consistently. Yeah, and the everybody knows there, about this. Everybody knows this. <laughs> and then the second time he's there because Willow went and got him. So I don't mean it as like, you know, that that's a flaw in the writing or something. But it did make me laugh because he has nothing to do with the story other than to yeah. pop in it just in time to rescue them. And it almost seemed like, the to me, like the blood draw at the beginning was like a little funny foreshadowing of the end where like we're almost acknowledging the fact that his yeah. only role in this episode is to pop in and sort of rescue them at the last minute yeah. so yeah that's all he's gonna do the whole um, time and and i would say even <laughs> the i sort of got a, a slightly different impression with the hospital um thing is that you almost get a sense that 
yes, he's there because he knows the blood's being delivered and he was going to partake. <laughs> oh, like... absolutely. That's what I, th- <laughs> okay. I thought. Okay. No, because I thought, well, he has fridges full of blood back in yeah. his, in his little a- apartment or whatever IV it is bags. that he lives. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, that's, what I, that's exactly that's what, what I thought okay. was he doesn't. And that's a good like he, thing, right? He doesn't attack people, but right, he right. needs blood, so he gets it from the blood bank. And, and, so. and which goes along with so, sort of the whole drug theme, too. He, that's where he gets yeah. his fix. He's not... Right, like, like he's he, there for the again, back alley drop-off. Well, yeah. and, but he's responsible about it, right? He's responsible yeah. about his drug use. It's prescription, almost, <laughs> drug, you know, uh, blood use. Um, yeah. Although not totally illicit. Um yeah. So the, the no, I absolutely yeah. When he said, "Oh, everybody knows about this," that's exactly how I took it. Was like he's not there to stop the vampires <laughs> from getting the blood. He's there to get it for himself. And, and, and Buffy's like, "Oh, you're going to make sure this gets to the right people, right?" And, and he's kind of like, "Yeah," like sheepishly, like, oh, yeah. "Okay." And yes. you know, as soon as she leaves, he's like, "I'm taking this back to the, the, well, the house." Maybe, maybe I don't, I don't know. I almost get the sense that he will do it, and I don't this time I, because she specifically I, asked. <laughs> but I, th- I, I don't begrudge him that because that's the whole goodness of the character is that he's not out attacking people. He has this supply, and so yeah, mm. of course it's okay for him to like <laughs> you know stock up. Um, um, but I had the exact same thought. Um, but I, I do think that it, that goes hand in hand another way in in this, the um, demon and Igon battle at the end. And um, interestingly, we don't like the demon in Angel doesn't necessarily have another name. Um, mm, you know, yeah. he's just it's Angel, but it because Angel has a soul. It's also like him without the demon, but the demon's still there kind of thing. Like, it's a really weird kind of mix. Right. It's um, not, it's not, whereas I guess with the other vampires, you're meant to understand that the them, their soul is not even there anymore. Yeah. That the house is totally occupied. Whereas right. here it's like, he's sharing with the demon, which is also right, inside right. of him. Um, but I, I do think that like, it gives you that really real sense uh, you know after seeing how evil igon gets and we get the sort of the the slow metamorphosis of jenny you know oh, especially with she her was just awful yeah with her face there like yeah. you, you know each time we see her kind of after igon um inhabits her <laughs> you know she 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 gets worse and worse looking um so we see that and then we see that there is this very real thing inside of angel that's even worse than that and and, like, to this point, I don't think we've ever seen that. Yes, we've seen Angel with his, you know, quote, game face on. But yeah. um, we haven't really gotten a real example yet of of the darkness that is inside Bad, Angel. Right, yeah. And, you know, yeah, be- no, we've only heard about it. We haven't right, seen it. Right, it's action, all been secondhand. Yeah. And this is, like, the, and e- I mean, even now it's sort of through the skin of Angel still. But, like because we get that analogy of Igon and, and how bad we see Igon looking, we know like it, it really kind of drives home. Like, yeah, there's, there's a lot more even angel than we've been, even though like we don't hardly see him at all this episode, we kind of get more just in that look yeah. uh, than in a lot of episodes that we've had so far. So yeah. those were kind of my two points about that. And, and, and I think you're right that, um, you know, the, the first one is a foreshadowing of the second one because you could even look at the blood stuff that way, right? He's getting the blood from other vampires. Like, he's mm-hmm. 
in collusion here. Like there's there's complicity kind of um, going on yeah. here. If if we are to believe that these vampires are his suppliers, <laughs> um, right. which I think is a very plausible explanation for why he shows up. Um, yeah. So like there is Angel is good. I don't mean to imply that he's not like, but. But he's not he's all good. he's gray. He's definitely <laughs> yeah, a gray yeah. character. It's not, um, you, you know, yeah. We're like <laughs> the name is doesn't imply that he's heavenly in any way, shape, or form. Like he's yeah, he's definitely yeah. a back no, there's that guy. potential for backsliding sort of yeah. at any moment. Yeah. Yeah, and and what's keeping that underlying demon at bay? Well, it's the fact that he has a soul, which, you know we kind of heard um, in, in, in was it last episode where he's like, yeah, well, you know, it used to be easy. I just sat around and brooded all day, uh, you know, where, you know, you know, he's thinking like sort of dark thoughts and whatever. So yeah. Yeah. Like he's still not a hundred percent safe. Um, anyway, yeah. we've gone way over and I kind of took that maybe to the extreme anything else you want to talk about here i feel like maybe there's one or two other little things we wanted to break into uh well i think i think i hit all the main stuff that i wanted to hit is there anything important that we didn't touch on that you think we need to acknowledge before we move on i would just say like we get another really cool um episode of willow's leadership here oh yeah Um, fantastic you know with with you know (laughs) between so and and like Cordy and Xander have sort of become foils for each other, or I don't even know if that's the right word. Cause they're not really they're opposites. Kind of, they're kind of cohorts. Yeah. Like in, in troublemaking and complaining. <laughs> yeah. Like, but they play off each other really well, yeah. I think. And, yeah. and we're, you know, kind of seeing that um, being driven home here. And, and of course, Cordy with her, well, what about me? I care about Giles like that. I know. And really, you almost think she's a really touching moment. Um, yeah so that she deflates almost instantly (laughs) yeah yeah um and then it's like oh well i don't care enough about giles to work with xander (laughs) yeah like i didn't mean i'd like look stuff up but yeah yeah. um no so she's she's hilarious uh anyway so okay well yeah i think uh i think we can move on then um okay on to doctor who and the age of steel another age um which this one is pretty clear i don't think there's more than one tandra um the 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 the, it's a single entendre (laughs) yeah exactly uh no it's it's i mean we we already had the rise of the cybermen they're still rising apparently in this um era and seeking to take over the world um yeah so we we start off right from where we left off as has pretty much happened with every two-parter for doctor who so far. So I don't mm-hmm. say that in any sort of surprise, um, yeah. but he shoots the crystal, mm-hmm. which is what he had found in the TARDIS that had like the little bit of power left. Right. And he gave 10 years of his life to, right. And he shoots what, like four or five years of his life at the, <laughs> the cyber. I, I guess I, you know, um, yeah, like that's fine like it gets them away it's a device um yeah um to get them away so but this is really the episode of mickey um sure yeah and and we kind of talked a bit about mickey last time obviously too because you know 
last episode was kind of about him too, but um, like this is even more so, I think. And and I, yeah, you know, okay, so he stays. What the heck is he up does. with this? Like he, he finally does. is realizing, which I had thought that he was realizing a number of times before. Uh-huh. The thing that he should have realized the first freaking episode of the new series. Um, <laughs> that it's all about the Rose. <laughs> all about the Rose. All about the Doctor and Rose. Um, yeah. And and so he decides to stay in a place where presumably, I know I shouldn't presume this because I'm sure I'll be wrong, they will never be able to see him again. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the doctor says this explicitly. I we can never come back, and he knows they can never come back, and he's okay with that. It seems like at this point. Um, yeah. He doesn't want to be the tin dog anymore, and pretty much that means not going with the doctor and Rose anymore. He like to not be the tin dog. You have to make your own way. You can't. You have to not be part of that yeah. uh, ensemble anymore because that is going to be his role if he stays with them. Yeah. Um, so, no, and you get that. You get that. I mean, it's not just like, you know, maybe this is a stretch, but it's almost like going to the other world, like where, as you said, like he's cutting himself off from them. That's like a super, you know, exaggerated metaphor for just getting out of the relationship. Like there's no way to make yourself better in this relationship. You can't improve your role or your status better to get out of it and do your own thing and find your own way and your own purpose. Mm -hmm. Um, Which it seems like, uh, taking Ricky's place in a parallel world, which is sealed off from Rose's world is a pretty effective way of doing that. Yeah. Well, you would think I'm assuming it will be pretty effective. Um, but we do get some positive, uh, like, I mean, I, and I get that, like you, there's a point where you just have to cut yourself off from someone. If, the relationship isn't working the way you want it to be. <laughs> yeah, well, um, we, know, we talked about Rose and Mickey as sort of codependent. That uh-huh. They fall into those roles with each other, and they're never going to be able to relate to each other any other and, way, it seems to me. And it's interesting, too, how Rose tries to reel him back in there, sort of at the end. Like, not reel him, but like that sounds very... Uh, 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 manipulative and whatever. I don't think she's trying to be like that, but like... It's the, what if I need you? Yeah. You know, like the, 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 well, but you don't. And it's like for him to be able to say that to her and mean it and not want to come with her anyway, again, um, like that, that really, at least he seems genuine at that point, but, but sort of, um, throughout the episode we get, we get, you, you know, again, we do get some positive elements and, and I think there's a couple things. So you listen to sort of my analysis and then tell me um, if you think there's any more to it than than that or whatever, which I know you would anyway, so I don't know why I just said that. But um, a couple things I would point out. One, so obviously there's Mickey and Ricky (laughs) and, uh, of course, Ricky. uh, And and we get the, the, uh, you know, sort of, 
what is it with you? You're exactly like me. Oh, I don't know. I reckon you're braver. Oh yeah. 10 times. And, <laughs> and we get the, you know, Mickey sort of looking up to Ricky, even though mm-hmm. they're kind of the same person and, yeah. and sort of idolizing this, you know, bandit version of himself. Um, until yeah. we find out that Ricky is wanted, the most wanted man in the city for parking tickets. <laughs> like, <laughs> yep. He's Mickey. Yeah. Fight, <laughs> like fighting that, the system. Park anywhere. That's yeah, me. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, this is, this is, you know, and I don't know that that's the moment where Mickey sort of has an epiphany or anything. Yeah. But, like, like, all right, he's not that far. Ten times better no. than you? No. Yeah, no, I don't you, think so. Like, this yeah. is, you know, it's it's a sham. He's, yeah, like, he has his crew or whatever, but it's not like. Um, you know, what was it Scooby Doo, you know, is, is what yeah. the uh what Pete calls them, you know, it's it, this yeah, and they, whatever. They, so they, they fancy themselves in a in a sort of revolutionary light, which they are, but that doesn't mean that they are up to this point posed any real threat to the system. Right, right. right? It's like, like <laughs> just some weirdos driving around in a van. Yeah, like I don't think the three of them in their van were really right. gonna change anything necessarily um, but the sort of the moment that um well and then ricky you know says oh well you're not that bad if you're with these you know the doctor mm-hmm. and rose like they seem pretty good people so yeah. you, you're not that bad yeah. and and that you know okay you know pat him on the head he's still the tin dog kind of at that yeah. point but he's, i do he's think he's cool he's cool by association i do think that <laughs> at that point he's like okay like this other version of me who's really cool actually thinks I'm okay too. Like, yeah. you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's like a external manifestation of self-confidence kind of thing. Sure, you know yeah. what I mean? Like it, yeah. it's just this very like, um, meta sort of moment, but yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Telling yourself that you've done something right makes you actually believe that you've done something right. right. Like this circular sort of, but importantly it. it's right after that. I, I mean, they separate then. Yeah. And then it's right after that that Ricky dies. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's like literally the last thing he says to Mickey. And yeah. I think from that point on, you can see Mickey taking on aspects of Ricky. He never becomes not Mickey. <laughs> um, yeah. But it's that, you know, he, he decides that he's going to go with uh, Jake, is it? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and the doctor wishes him luck. He's like, you know, good. Yes, go. Yeah you know, be with Jake. Like that's seems appropriate for you. Like, good luck. That's not something the doctor would have done before. It seems like, you know what I mean? Like he, not that I think the doctor ever had any bad intentions for Ricky or bad feeling or for Mickey. (laughs) Now I'm getting (laughs) the two of them mixed up. Um, Not that I think the doctor ever felt badly for him, but I I think like in that moment, we're supposed to see that there, there is like, it almost seems like, I don't know that I want to say the doctor knows that Mickey's going to stay behind at that point, mm-hmm. but it definitely seems like he sees something changing in Mickey at that point. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and I mean, almost immediately after Ricky's death. So like, clearly there's something. Well, and I get, I mean, I mean, now the doctor in, so there's like this progression, right? Like the doctor invited him a season ago to come in the TARDIS, but yeah. we agreed that at the time that that was more for Rose's sake than it. Well, so 
the first step in the progression is Mickey's not allowed. Um, (laughs) Second step, second step is Mickey, you can come if you want, since, you know, I know how you feel about Rose. Like it, or I know how Rose feels about you. Yeah. Yeah, And, and I'll, and I'll allow it, you know, and, and Mickey says no. Then, uh, Mickey says, you know, he wants to come. And the doctor, so it's not an invitation, but the doctor says, yeah, okay. Like, he's not against the idea, you know, he kind of maybe doesn't have huge amounts of faith in Mickey, but enough faith to allow him to be a companion. And now it seems to me that, so even though he's already been in the TARDIS and traveled as a companion and everything, it's the way that the doctor says, Mickey, if we survive this, I'll see you back at the TARDIS. Mm. That to me sounds like a legit invitation. Right. Like that. Well, if not that's even not, like even an expectation almost at that. Point. And that's not. And it's not done for any reason. It's not done for Rose. It's mm. not done because Mickey asked. It's not done for any other reason than that. The Doctor's saying, "Once we're done." You can come with me, and I'm inviting you for real. Yeah, it's, it's um, and, a, and, a, and through an, a genuine affection for him. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, I don't know that that necessarily contradicts the idea that maybe the doctor has an inkling that he's going to stay behind. It, it's, it's all wrapped up in this idea that Mickey, he's recognizing that Mickey is changing and is a worthy, worthy of being, you know, and, and, I guess we could still argue whether or not Mickey's as worthy a companion as Rose. That might be up for debate, but, um, but at least the doctor is, you know, without irony or teasing or external prompting Mm -hmm. says, when this is over, you can come with me for real this time, you know? Yeah. Um, And that does seem to be about the point that, you know, and, and Mickey kind of, seems happy about that and then of course what happens two seconds later is the doctor and rose give each other a hug and a goodbye and and you get that look on mickey like he i think that's when whether or not the doctor knows i think that's when mickey knows Mm. he's not going with them because it doesn't matter if the doctor gave him an invitation it's still going to be the doctor and rose yeah yeah you know and he doesn't have a place in the team really um, so I think that's when he's, I, I mean, I think I would say like, it's, it's like you said with Ricky's compliment and then Ricky's death that he starts to step into Ricky's role really. Yeah. And, um, and I don't mean to say that he becomes Ricky at all, but I think he, yeah. I think he takes on aspects of Ricky or, or even, and maybe perhaps better, he takes on the things that he perceived in Ricky, whether they yeah. were actually part of Ricky or not. Like, yeah. you know, he takes on a leadership role and, and yes, the doctor sells a prompt him, you know, um, later when, yeah, like he doesn't know, become a genius it's like the or anything. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, obviously it's the doctor's plan, how they kind of go in and invade Lumix factory and all that. But like, yeah. and then the doctor's like talking him through his hacking <laughs> into the system. But then after the fact, when they're in the Zeppelin, when when Mickey and Jake are in the Zeppelin, it like it, it's Mickey acting on his own to go back yeah. and save them. Like yeah, at that point, there's no one them. prompting him. So I mean, there's there is a real sense of growth and and um, 
a coming of age sort of, you know, uh, aspect to, to Mickey in this episode, um, to his credit to, to, um, do that. No. And I think, and I think it isn't just replacing Ricky, but it is seeing, um, a potential, like an external potential of, you know, what he could be. And then recognizing, Mm -hmm. well, I'm not that I'm the tin dog and maybe I'd rather be a little bit more like that, you Mm -hmm. know, and clearly I'm capable of it because he's seeing what he's capable of in front of his own eyes. Yeah. Well, and yeah. And and he has the wherewithal, you know, to have the, the Cyberman punch the one thing that'll take out all the ear pods and stuff. You know what I mean? Like it's, you know, it's, it's, he does, he realizes he's quick on his feet. Oh, I, Hey, give me that. I, I can have, I'm good with computers actually. Yeah. Like, let yeah. me do that. <laughs> like, wait a minute. Oh yeah, I can use a computer. Why am I just sitting here? Why don't I use a computer? Um, you know, and that sort of thing. Um, and then even at the end, so we get, um, so, you know, sort of his, his bravado. Oh, there's nothing wrong with the van. I won't save the universe in a big yellow truck, you know, yeah. kind of thing. Um, but it's also that he takes on that, aspect of the doctor too of the hey do you think there's uh a lumic factory in france let's go to france France. yeah let's let's go let's see what happens when we go like it's he has actually learned something it seems from the doctor as well Mm -hmm. um not just from ricky but it's he's taking that and then taking it a step further right it's no longer just about london or you know fighting the resistance in your hometown it's let's take this worldwide and see how far we can get. And yeah. yeah. And that that he's sort of without even really acknowledging it, um, got to the place that Rose was at when she talked about, you know, this is what the doctor shows you is you don't just sit back and passively live your life. You go out and do things and have an opinion and have experiences and fight for what you believe in all these things. And I don't, we don't get any, it's so it, it it's so subtle in that you don't get that kind of speech from Mickey, but mm. you realize that's exactly what he's doing. You know, he's pretty much decided to live that way, even if he didn't ever have a conscious, you know, decision to do that. Yeah. Um, he's arrived at that same place. Um, you know, so yeah. Yeah. Good for him. We'll never see him again. So, um, no, I, I mean, I'm being flippant. Obviously I, I won't, you say, don't have, I won't say that I, your favorite. I won't say that I've grown to love him or anything, but, um, yeah. like I said, to his credit, he does seem to grow here and, and he does take on some good aspects of, of Ricky and, and even the doctor, uh, yeah. a bit. So, you know, good for him. Hope it, yeah. hope it works out. Hope you, rid the world of Cybermen and live a good alternate <laughs> and I, universe. I, I mean, I like that even as he's growing and everything, the the comic relief never really goes away. That yeah. I love, I love the fact that the doctor guides him by calling him an idiot and just, <laughs> yeah, any like, idiot could any, figure this any out. Man or woman, any idiot, any yeah. idiot can get past firewalls and codes and, you know, like that's just so great. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know that that's become from something that started out so sort of acerbic. It's like a term of endearment at this yeah, point. It's yeah. like, like, and then he he calls him that again when he 
when when they leave when they part he says by mickey the idiot but you know this time that's right. like a pet name you know right, right, right. and it's not like he's you know yeah not like he's the doctor's favorite person or anything but the but the insult has gone out of that word right. um so yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and and i kind of i mean you touched on this a little bit so um I just want to mention too, like I think that is important too about, you know, it's not mean the manipulative, but there is that aspect to Rose, which, which we've seen with Mickey especially all along, which is selfish and not in a malicious way, but, you know, I think that's that's part of the character is to say, well, what if I need you? You know, well, I, Mickey's always been her backup. She's the, he's if things the don't work net. out with her yeah. and the doctor, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I think that's. I think, yeah. And again, I would say it's probably not malicious, but you know, no, it no, certainly seems to so. have been there in the back of her mind all along. What if I need you? What if? And you know, perhaps she's still thinking about um, Sarah Jean. Sarah Jane. Sarah Jane. Ah, I knew I was going to get that wrong. Um, <laughs> Sarah Jane, and, you know, that at some point this thing with the Doctor will end, and where will Mickey be? Um, yeah. Well, now he's inaccessible. Like, now you are kind of on your own, too. Like, Mickey yeah. Mickey at least has a friend in his world. If, mm-hmm. you, if the Doctor dumps you, <laughs> or whatever you want to call it, like, yeah. who are you going to be with at this point? Like, that's probably some of the things that are sort of running through her mind. Um, yeah, and it's scary. I'm sure. I mean, I don't, and I, we don't ever really know how long Mickey and Rose had been together. Uh, no, I mean, we... we saw we saw in Father's Day that they grew up together in a sense, like that he was a couple years older, but but like when she was the baby and he's a toddler at the wedding, like they're similar in age and their parents knew each other. Maybe they're in the same neighborhood or something. Mm-hmm. So you get the sense that. I don't know how long they've been dating, but that they've known each other their Three whole years. lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah and, so... and and they allude to, you know, all the things that we said we'd do together. And, yeah. You we know, they talked this. about doing all this stuff and never did any of it. And then when they went and did stuff, like, it was not with each other not for most of the all... time. And it was nothing like they thought it would be. Like they'd expected, yeah. Yeah, um, um, yeah. And, and I feel that's as much as... Rose's reaction is selfish. It's also completely understandable because she's not prepared to lose her oldest friend or what seems to be one of her oldest friends, you know, mm-hmm. like this, certainly she wasn't expecting that. And then she ne- she loses Mickey, her mom and her dad all in the same night. Oh, so yeah. I, I do think she should be given a little bit of well, an excuse this time. And talking about her dad, okay. she loses him because he runs away. Yeah. I mean, it's not like like her, her you know, alternate universe mom, who isn't her mom, like right. who, who the last thing she says to her is, you know, you're the hell Get out what of my you house. Know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, doesn't even acknowledge that. I mean, and why would she? Like, I mean, there's no reason why she would acknowledge. Yeah. Um, but, like, she dies, she becomes, well, or gets assimilated into becoming a cyber person. Um, and Cyber Jackie. 
Cyber Jackie, yeah. <laughs> um, but Pete, when confronted with the idea of, you know, in an alternate universe having a daughter named Rose, um, runs away. Don't. Yeah. Just don't, he says, and, and, and gets the hell out of Dodge. Uh, so it's... And that's... And, the, and I had... This just jumped to my mind that the, the inversion of the character. So this Pete is everything the other Pete wasn't, right? He's mm-hmm. rich and successful, whereas other Pete was, you know, not. <laughs> <laughs> Emphatically right. not. But other Pete, you know, real, Rose's world Pete, even if it was in the alternative bubble of the paradox and everything, still rose to be this great heroic dad Mm -hmm. you know and this pete who is materially successful you know i mean i understand the circumstances are different he's kind of blindsided with it but when when it comes down to it he runs away from the idea of the daughter and 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 doesn't rise to the occasion well and there's and I was thinking about this because there's there's a number of possible explanations and, and perhaps at least one or two that shed him in a less bad light. Um, and I, I don't want to be too hard on him because really when you think about it, what do you expect, right? Like you're presented with this idea of alternative universes and in the space of an evening you're supposed to make room for this daughter you didn't know you had and you didn't even really have her another yeah. you had like how affectionate is he supposed no, to be and, really and I, I i think even not even going that far yeah rose sort of lost her surrogate mom but she knows her real mom is still alive in yeah. the universe um pete lost his wife yeah and yeah. and his is his soon-to-be estranged wife, if that makes any sense. Like, you know what uh-huh. I mean? Like, I mean, they knew they were splitting up. So it's yeah. not even like... But, like, when they were splitting up, there was still sort of maybe that possibility they could patch things up, right? Yeah. Like, there was that, well, you know, whatever. And and even Rose was trying to talk to both of them about, like, oh, you know, maybe things will be okay. <laughs> like... Yeah. Um. So, like, is his running away, is it, is it, no, I don't want to be your father, or is it realization that he never can now? Well, I mean, not mm. that he couldn't find someone else, but with Jackie, he, yeah. he can't be a father, you know, to yeah. a rose um, yeah. with Jackie. Like, right. it, you he's know, being, if he has a being... child with someone else, it's completely, I mean, it's not Rose, it's someone else. It's, you right, know, right, he's being person. shown... He's being shown the the life that he didn't like they said they kept putting kids off. And right. now he has in front of him what he could have had if they hadn't right. put the kids off. And so, now they can't. <laughs> so it yeah, so I mean it it's not necessarily that he like shuns Rose and doesn't want, you know, anything to do with her. It's the realization that he can't have yeah. her in any meaningful sense as a dog. Yeah. Well, it's it's just grief. Yeah, you know. Um, I mean, possibly we don't know because he doesn't stick around to explain <laughs> no. what he's feeling. No, but, but I think but there are. Uh, I mean, at the same time as I think it is contrasted with the other Pete. You know, mm-hmm. 
at, at the same time, that doesn't we I do I don't want to be too hard on him because yeah. I think there are reasons which make his reaction understandable. Right, right. Um, it's a possibly less, uh, 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 y- 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 you know, uh, oh man, what's the word I'm trying to think of? Anyway, it, it, a better light on Pete as a character than just simply I don't want to be your father. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, so. no, no, he's not some dad that skipped out. It's like. It, it's really pretty defensible or at least understandable why he would have a difficult time. Um, I think the more surprising thing is the learning that he was Gemini, the, the guy right. getting info for security service services. Um, so he is, I mean, not only is he is this inventor guy or whatever, but he's like a, a, a underground insurgent, yeah. whatever you yeah. want to call him. Yeah. Um, yeah. So no, I mean, we were last week. I remember we said he was working for Lumic, and surprise, not really. Um, yeah. Well, he is. He's yeah. just a double agent, right? He is a mole. Yeah. yeah. Um. So you yeah. Know, so I there mean, is still that. There is still that heroic side to the character that mm-hmm. you know um, does you know the right thing and is you know he he's never. He's never really a bad dad, no matter what. You know, there's always those really positive aspects to the character, I think. Yeah. And that spirit that Jackie talks about, which is what Rose got from him, you know. Right. Right. Um, so, okay. That's what we're talking. And I think it's, and I like the little beat at the end of Rose needing the comfort of home and to just go home and they yeah. land right in the apartment <laughs> like they land in the living room so that yeah. rose can like hug her mom and have a cup of tea and have a night in her own bed you know like that's really after all that that's really what you need right yeah no and i was actually just gonna say we talked about mickey we talked about pete <laughs> we should talk about rose and i think yeah. you're right i mean i think that is very very good little ending scene there just to, to kind of, and it's interesting too, because so like, I mean, obviously she's come home for visits before, but she's always just been anxious to keep going, to, to mm-hmm. leave, to leave, to leave, to leave. And this is the first time I think where we really do see that she's anxious to get back home. Yeah. Now that, and again, like I said, she has come back home before and yeah. And whatever. But um, yeah, it's just, it's a it, it, it's a neat little twist, I think, all around, just for all of the characters, kind of in a way, um, to see that she wants to come back. Um, yeah. And and, yeah, and, and the doctors not and then to not come back because that's what Jackie wants, or of because of some sense of duty, duty. but yeah, it's yeah. it's. You just imagine that she got in the TARDIS and said, all right, take me back to my house, like, mm-hmm. right now. And the doctor's evasion about where Mickey is yeah, uh, is, is interesting there. And even the fact that Jackie asks where Mickey is. Because mm-hmm. um, we don't always get the sense that Jackie is too fond of Mickey. <laughs> Although it's sort of a love-hate relationship. It's like, we never get the sense that she's too fond of him, but they're always kind of together 
like when yeah. Rose comes back, like yeah. they're always hanging around each mm-hmm. other. So kind of, I guess, given the mutual support, um, almost, almost like you might expect of a loved one who died, you know, um, people mm-hmm. who maybe weren't good friends or acquaintances, um, even when they're alive, sort of kind of banding together to, to have that support network. Yeah. Um, but now Jackie won't have that. No. Um, no, poor Jackie. Everyone's kind of cut off on their own now. Yeah. It's it's funny. You don't realize how much Mickey is a connecting figure. But now that he's gone, the the, char- the human characters really are all on their own. You know, Mickey's off on, cut off on his own. Rose is mm. off with the doctor. And Jackie's at home by herself and the only one now that knows about any of this. So you don't, I don't think of Mickey as serving that kind of connecting function, but he really sort of does. Mm. Like he really did kind of bridge the domestic and the adventure lives a little bit. Um, And once you remove him from that, it does feel more like everyone's sort of isolated in a way that they weren't before. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. I hadn't really thought about that, but yeah. That's interesting. Um, well, and the doctor is on his own. Who needs family? I've got the whole world on my shoulders. I know. Um, yeah. I don't know. He's, uh, well, we get a few things. So we get that, you know, the, the, which is kind of, you know, grandiose, like, oh, I've got the whole world on my shoulders. Mm-hmm. Who needs family? Whatever, blah, blah, blah. But clearly, I mean, he's the one who always has companions, right? <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, yeah. so he does need someone. Yeah. And if that's not family, you know, it's certainly really, really close to family. And he did have a family at one point, right? Well, and, and that's what I'm thinking. This whole conversation with Mrs. Moore, which... I think interestingly is really all about names and about family. Yeah. And he's giving a lot of flippant answers to his questions that or to her questions, which she's not meaning them to be any sort of prying questions, but he can't give real answers to them. He has to sort of deflect them. So mm. do you have family? Ah, I don't need family. I got too much to worry about. Right. Now we know right. he had family or must have had family he had a whole population i, I mean i is thought not, which is gone <laughs> no i thought there was an episode even where he talked about being a father i think so um i mean i, I know i mentioned i know i mentioned that there's the granddaughter uh in canon which okay. which we uh take to mean a real granddaughter um well yeah and, no i, I and I there thought... was and there's another one where he says that he was like a father and a grandfather yeah, and that yeah, that's yeah. gone. So, yeah. So, no, he's alluded to that okay. fact before. I um, think it was when he was talking to a Dalek at some point that he says something along those lines. But, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I could be misremembering where it was, but I'm almost no, positive that I think we've you're seen right. in the new series here him say he had a family. Definitely. Yeah, um, I agree. So well, it's, and even if, and we, we don't know the particulars of that, but... No. I mean, everyone comes from something. You know, he had to have yeah, a family yeah, yeah. before him at the very least. And But we've been led to believe 
But he's being... Uh, you know, an immediate family as well. Right. But he's... but So that to me is a very flippant way of deflecting an, an, a question he doesn't want to answer. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. No, he's being very devil-may-care about it here. And, and I don't think we're supposed to be too convinced by it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, no, because you're absolutely right. Who needs family, but... Uh, but he's awfully eager to to have some companions on board for his travels. Would you like to see the inside of my TARDIS? <laughs> um, yeah, no. I, and, the, and the same thing, like, with the question, you know, that they're talking about names. And, mm. you know, I think that's a significant line as she's saying, Mrs. Moore is not my real name, you know. I got that from a book. It's safer not to use real names. And then she kind of asked the doctor, it's interesting. She says, what about you? And it almost sounds like she's asking, she doesn't clarify. Does she mean, what about you? Mm -hmm. What's your real name? Or what about you? He, he responds with the answer about family. You know, she says, what about you? And he says, Oh, who needs family? But I even wonder what's she asking about? His the name, name. Yeah. and you wonder, might it be safer for him not to use real names as well? Like, are we supposed to take that line as significant? I mean, she's talking to, yeah, to someone who doesn't use his name, yeah, who <laughs> has an assumed alias. So, right. yeah, well, um, yeah, huh? No, that's that's a good question because I mean, so. In in classic Who, we do see other Time Lords, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they have names like they do. Um, so it seems to me that sometimes, and I don't know if there's consistent rules to this. I'd like to go try to do some research and figure this out. Like one of them's not named like dentist or something, right? The dentist. Well, so then... this is that there seems to be two types of Time Lord names that okay. I can tell. Okay. Um. One is the kind of expected, sort of foreign-sounding, grandiose alien name. Okay. Like, there was a Time Lady named Romana, and there's, like, the president of the Time Lords was Rassilon. Like, these really, like, sci-fi kind of names. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. those seem like like names, like a first name. Right, they weren't, like, right? titles or Exactly. Yeah. But then there are other Time Lords, which are titles, which are the fill in the blank and where it's, you know, so it's not the doctor, it's the X or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that seems to be more like the doctors an assumed alias, which has something to do with who they are, like what kind of role they play. Is it... And so I don't know. I don't know if there's a consistent rule to when characters are named one versus the other. Sure. Um, and this or is just... if, or if the fact that if they do have the title, what does that signify? Does that mean that at what point does a Time Lord assume a title rather than use their own name? This is just total speculation, and if it if you don't know, that's fine. But um, I know at one point you had said there were supposed to be, I think, six people around in the TARDIS, mm-hmm. like driving it or whatever, or flying mm-hmm. it. Like, I wonder, is that related to maybe those titles or something but it could be i I don't know i don't know when that that might be a that might be a new who 
okay. piece of canon. Okay. The idea of I, now the design isn't new. Who the idea of the central console with with like almost like different stations. Mm -hmm. That's always what the the TARDIS has looked like. I think it might be a newer idea though that someone said, oh. Wouldn't it be great if it's designed that way because it needs to be piloted by different people? Yeah, and it's so much bigger on the inside so to accommodate. So you could you accommodate, know. no yeah. problem. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that I can't say for sure. But he's not the only Time Lord with a title instead of a proper, like, first name. So um, is... Which it, is interesting. Is, is the definite article important is like is he the only one who takes the title of the doctor that we know uh, of it's that i know of yeah okay. i think so it seems my impression is that yeah like maybe there's some name registry out there that once the doctor uses it no other time lords can use that name or something yeah i don't i mean again the, we've gone way off of like the course <laughs> of this episode in just wild speculation which can be fun so yeah you know i'm not saying we have to stop but i'm just saying like like if it was a position like in the tardis like it could be the captain or the chief medical okay. officer or that kind of thing okay or or um, it could be you know something I, more i don't think so broad where it's the doctor and he's just known as to like every other time lord as the one who is the doctor even though and there may other be maybe other doctors out there he's sure. the doctor the do and that's the impression i get is that um okay. is that it's not like his position on the crew of the ship or something right. it's like that when you and, say like if you said to, and i haven't gotten that impression until we were just having this conversation yeah, like i said no, wild speculation so i'm pretty sure we're meant to understand that if there were other time lords and you said something about the doctor they would know who you meant mm -hmm. um okay and that that's a title which is specific to yeah. him. Um, so you're saying I have to watch all 50 years of past <laughs> classic who to really answer this question. And probably then I will not have an and, answer. And, and I really doubt you'll get a specific answer. I mean, so much of this, um, so much of the mythology of the show, which I think is really essential to how it's lasted as long as it has, is that they do keep it so, um, you know, sort of ephemeral and you can't so quite tell. What you're saying then is that they're just making it up as they go along. Shockingly enough, they did not have the whole series planned out back in 1963. And they do it brilliantly. And they do it brilliantly. <laughs> just like the doctor. Exactly. But I think that's, I think you could... You could um, get so into the mythology so quickly in this show and completely mess up your own internal story and logic. And mm -hmm. I think so much of what works about it is the fact that it's just these hints and you get, you know, the barest, you know, suggestion of something and and you can go 50 years without finding whether your suspicions are true or not really. Right. Right. Um, and part of the fun is in the speculation. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just these oblique references to the names, but um, yeah, no, I think the question of the name is one of the most 
interesting and like just sort of evocative aspects. Sure. Maybe and maybe maybe the most evocative well, aspect of the character. And like you said, I mean it's pretty much addressed almost explicitly here by him asking her about her pseudonym mm-hmm. um or her assumed name or whatever you want to call it. Um so yeah, I think it I think we're meant to go off on wild tangents like the one we just went off on. Um yeah. and thinking about that. Uh anything else? I mean, I we had we didn't really talk about the Cybermen at all, but I feel like we talked about them enough last week. Not a lot more to say here other than kind of the shift of them wanting to turn everyone into Cybermen, but we yeah, kind of knew we kind of knew that's where they were heading anyway, Which is what so, monsters yeah. tend to do. Yeah, yeah, I mean that's not real shocking. I guess I guess the question I would have and maybe we can leave on this one is do you know how closely and I don't think we talked about this last time so if we did just sort of remind me and say go listen to last week's episode. <laughs> um but like do we know how uh closely these are to the the classic Cybermen. I mean, I know the origin stories obviously are different because in the yeah. the other the other Cybermen originated on a different planet. Mm-hmm. In look, though, they're pretty similar, right? Yeah, uh, like it the 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 basic design is pretty similar. There's certain icons that they always try to have, like um, like the shape of the head and mm-hmm, the and mm-hmm. the the coloration and stuff. And there's certain things like that they took from specific designs. Like they said, like that little tear thing in the corner was from like one particular design, you know, that okay. that produ- they were like, Oh, we're going to steal that and stuff. I think they're more fluid than the Daleks. Like the Daleks are pretty much unchanging okay. since 1963. Whereas the Cybermen tended to be redesigned each time they came back. Okay. Um, which is kind of interesting. I think that goes with the theme of upgrading technology. Sure. And like, um, right, right. That, makes that sense. it's constantly evolving and, and becoming more functional or more modern or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so they do look well in this bit... time with like all of the wireless, you know, ear pods yeah, and that kind yeah. of stuff. Like no, there's... it's the, like tapping into the whole digital age. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. um, so they're always sort of suited to their time, I guess. So maybe they're more, they're more fluid than the Daleks are. Um, gotcha. But uh, but I think their basic their their basic design is always pretty recognizable, and the basic idea of them is pretty much the same. So the origin story may be different, like who created them and how. But no matter who does that, the end the, result the, is the yeah. end result is that they're always from people. So they're not robots. They're always Cybermen are people. Yeah, they're people too. That they're always there's always the element of they are humanity upgraded. So in the sixties when they were worried about um organ transplants and you know, mm. bionic body parts, it was all about like what if we replace our parts so much that we start to become like Cybermen. Mm-hmm. Now with you know, Bluetooth and well, yeah. wireless internet. Now the the idea is like it's the being, walking your, zombie, your brain yeah, being yeah, yeah. integrated into the machine. So it's always tailored to this specific generation. But the idea is that like they're wanting to 
make everyone like them and eventually gonna you know force you into evolving into them mm -hmm. if that makes sense so it's kind of little variations on the same basic theme i would say mm. okay interesting well um are we vastly out of time yeah we i mean we went way over on buffy <laughs> so you know like i think we're probably just about out of time for this one um Oh, and the other thing I would say is, I don't know how much this was, this must have been in the classic show too, but I think the other main thing which they're associated with, especially in the new show, is this idea of the emotions. Um, and that kind of goes with the Daleks too, although to me the Daleks seem more like, the Daleks seem more... They have emotions. They're all just ugly emotions, right? It's all yeah, like yeah. Well, they're hyper focused on like it's anger, anger and, yeah. and hate, and those are what is mm -hmm. the good. You know, those are proper emotions, and anything else is weakness. Whereas Cybermen seem more emotionless, mm -hmm. um, and you know, so the whole idea of you know that your weakness, your physical and your emotional weakness, is what prevents you from becoming the, you know, upgraded immortal Cyberman. Mm. Um, so you get to have the doctor as the champion of all the things that make us human, which are things which are painful. So, you know, it's not, you know, and he's picking up on what Sarah Jane was talking about, that pain and loss define us, you yeah, know, yeah. as much as, you know, as much as the happiness and love and everything. Um, and that that's not worth trading in just to, you know, make yourself invincible. And of course you get Lumic, the hypocrite, who is ready to upgrade everyone, but got, not me, not until yeah, I'm not until last my last minute. breath. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which just seems pretty much how it goes with the villains. Yeah, you know. Anyway. Not that it works out for him either, but does not. It, it, back, <laughs> it backfired a little bit. Um, but okay. Did you on, have anything else? On that note, no. Okay. I think uh, I think that's that's all I had to talk about. Um. Yeah. So I guess on that note, we're we're done for this week. But uh, thank you everyone for listening, and we'll return in another week with some more stuff to talk about Buffy and Doctor Who. Yeah. See you then.